Good morning, SMCC. So it is fantastic to finally be here. It has been a long time coming. I know you guys probably feel that more than anybody because you guys have been waiting for so long, right? This has been, what, a two, three-year process that you have been in. And I hope I don't disappoint you, all right? But we have been so graciously received by you. We've had people meet us at our door when we arrived to help us unpack. And then others came and helped us uh, unload little items and get them in the cupboards and whatnot. We've had people bring us meals and flowers and invite us to dinner. And I've interacted with some of you on the streets. And you've been so warm and gracious and kind. And so we are just very, very delighted to be here with you. And I just want to say thank you for your hospitality to us, to our family, for the way in which you've treated us. And uh, if, if this is any sign of what is to come, this is a good beginning. And we hope it continues. <laughs> Food in our fridge, people coming by to help us, things like this. So next week, we're going to be getting together uh, a brand new series where we're going to be looking together at Jesus and his priorities and his values. We're going to be looking at the priorities and values of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. And what our desire will be is to kind of explore Jesus's priorities and values so that we might know what our priorities and values ought to be as a church as we study his priorities and values. But before we jump into that series next week, I wanted to just pause and take space this morning to share with you a reflection on the passage that we heard read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so why don't you join with me as we uh, turn to God in prayer and ask that he would open up our hearts, our lives, as he speaks to us in his word. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we praise you, we thank you for your great love that you have for us. I thank you, God, for the ways in which your love comes to us in such tangible ways, through the good gifts that we get to enjoy and through the good people that you bring around us. And for all of your goodness, for all of your grace that you pour out on our lives, we turn back and we say thank you. And I thank you, God, for the ways in which you have shown your love and your kindness to our family, even this week, through the people in this room. We praise you. We thank you for your grace, your goodness to us. And we ask that as we open up your word now this morning, that you might open up our hearts and that you would speak to us. We pray, O oh God, that as we begin a new journey together in a new season ahead, that your presence might strengthen us and fill us that you would form and shape us to be a community that bears witness to your great love here in Sierra Madre and Monrovia and Altadena and Pasadena and the surrounding communities. And we pray these things in the great name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So this morning, if you have a Bible, why don't you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're new to Christianity, the book of Corinthians was written by a man named the Apostle Paul, who was one of the great architects and, uh, of the growth and the spread of the early Christian movement. He was a great, one of the greatest leaders in early Christianity, and he's also responsible for writing about half of the books that we have in the New Testament. 
And he wrote this letter to a church in Greece called Corinth. And he wrote this letter primarily not to inform them, but to correct some problems that they were having within the church. And so this letter is not an informative letter, it's more a remedial letter. And he's writing to correct them because the church was fraught with all kinds of problems. There was divisions in the church. There was pride, there was arrogance, there was people who were gifted, who were very knowledgeable, and yet their character was somewhat deformed. Uh, they weren't actually loving people the way God called them to love people. And so it was creating kind of a toxic environment in the church. And so this was a church with problems. And would you believe that there are some churches that have problems? Would you believe that there are some churches with divisive people and attitude problems and toxicity? And of course, that's not a surprise to anyone in this room. If you've been around church for any period of time, I imagine that even SMCC has its share of that in its history. Amen? Amen. Wow. I was, wasn't expecting that hearty of a response. But Paul writes to call this church from their toxicity into being a community of character that reflects the love of God in their life together. And of course, this is what God is calling us as a people to do. God is calling us away from our dysfunctional patterns, our self-centeredness, our arrogance, our pride, and all the different things that sort of divide us and tear us apart. And he's calling us as a church, SMCC, into being a community of character that reflects the love of God in our communities and in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our place of employment, in our schools. God is calling us to be agents and witnesses of his great self-giving, sacrificial love that he gives us in his son Jesus. And so this is what God is, or this is what God through Paul is calling this church into. And as he's writing to this church, calling them to be this kind of community of character, here in chapter 3, he draws upon an analogy from the world of farming. And in his analogy, the church is a field, and the ministers that serve the church are like workers in the field who plant and who water. And of course, God is behind the scenes all the time, and it's God who is actually bringing productivity and fruit and abundance to this field. Look at how Paul puts it in chapter 3, verse 6. He says this, he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. It's an interesting analogy, isn't it, to think about the church as a field. Because if you stop and you imagine a large plot of dirt in your mind, a dirt that is uh, hardened, and maybe there's some weeds there, and God takes a field like that and he turns it into something that is productive and that is abundant and that is fruitful and that's beautiful and that's useful, that actually brings life. And this is what God is about in the world. God is about taking communities of people. God is about taking individuals. And he's about taking those areas in our life that look like dirt, those areas that are hardened, those areas that are full of weeds, the bits of despair and discouragement and depression. 
and bringing from that something beautiful, something full of hope and joy. Those areas in our life that are full of dysfunction and self-centeredness and creating in that something that is marked by God's own self-giving love and generosity. Those areas in our life that are marked by injustice and really a stern, critical attitude towards others and actually producing in us ways in which we act in the world that are full of justice and mercy. And so this is what God is at work in the world doing. God is at work taking a field of dirt and bringing something productive and beautiful into it. And not only that, but he says that we are workers in this field. Paul talks about ministers as those who go about and who are laboring in the field. And there's different roles and responsibilities. Some are tilling the ground, others are planting, uh, still others are watering the ground, but they're all at work laboring together in the field, seeking to bring a community of character that mar- that's marked by God's own love in the world. And what I wanted to do this, this morning is I wanted to stand back and just kind of look at this image that Paul paints. Look at this analogy of the field that reflects the church, the ministers, and I just want to draw upon this analogy to help us learn three, I guess they're virtues, that are necessary for us as a community as we move forward together into this new season. You know, I have to be honest with you, it kind of overwhelmed me this week. I was thinking about the job that we have before us. And in some ways, it is exciting and it's daunting all at the same time. If you study the life of most churches, they follow a common cycle. And oftentimes, people who are in the work of studying kind of church life, they talk about the life cycle of a church. And some of you have seen this depicted in illustrations and whatnot, but the life cycle of a church typically looks something like this. A church is birthed, and then it begins to grow, and then at some point in its life, it starts to plateau, and then after plateau, it begins to decline, and after decline, it dies. And if you look at this church, SMCC, I I was struck, this church has been around for 132 years. That is pretty cool, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, that's pretty awesome. And this church has followed a similar trajectory that most people say a life cycle of a church follows. This church was birthed and it it grew. I ran into uh, Dick Anderson this week in the church offices, and he shared with me about back in, you know, the 70s, about how there was a big hippie commune living back in the canyon. And he talked about the people that they reached with the good news of Jesus in that hippie com- com- in the commune. And, and he talked about reaching young people in the park by the hundreds across the street. And there was a period in this church's life that was marked by growth when this church was reaching the next generation, when it was doing missionally effective work, when it was, it was, it was really living as a faithful presence of the gospel in this community. And many people were coming to know Jesus, and the entire culture of the church was oriented to reaching the next generation. But then the church at some point in its history plateaued, And SMCC now, if you just look at kind of the stats, we have been in decline now for about two decades or more. 
And the next stage, if nothing else happens, is death. Churches often die. More churches than we care to think about in L.A. are dying all the time. Churches are closing their doors all around the country. Now, this church has a lot of financial resources, and so it's likely the case that this church could be on life support for some time into the future if it needed to be. But our desire is not to be a church that in 10 years from now is on life support. Amen? Amen. We want to be a church that is actually growing and vibrant. And even as in your history you are spending time reaching the next generation, this needs to become a church that reaches the next generation. It needs to be the kind of church where when you walk into this church and you're 25, your first thought is not, oh, this is my grandparents' church. Your first thought is, this is my church. This feels like my church. And the reality is, is that to see that kind of transformation happen in us, among us, in the years ahead, in this next season, it's going to take more than a senior pastor. It's going to take more than just a preacher who comes and preaches good, dynamic, or whatever messages. It's going to take a change in culture. And a cultural shift is something that is dramatic. But fortunately, as we see from 1 Corinthians, this is actually what God is doing among the church. I mean, what is a, is a dirt field but nature? And what is an abundant crop and full of, you know, tomato plants and cucumbers and avocado or whatever it is? You know, what is that? I don't know why I said avocados. I was thinking cucumbers, tomatoes, a good veggie sandwich, right? But what is that but culture? It is the work and labor of love and beauty and organization that actually creates something that's vibrant and abundant. And to go from a field to something beautiful like that, that's a cultural shift. And that's what SMCC needs beginning today and in the years ahead, is we need to see a shift in culture. And that's going to touch a lot of different areas of the church. It's going to touch everything from our worship service to our music style to our facilities to how we communicate and how we do our programming and how we do our processes. And it touches all kinds of areas of the church. And so this is exciting because we can embrace this call. And by the power of God in us and with the love of God among us, we can move forward in this future and we can see something that is different and beautiful. And I find that compelling, don't you? And that's what we want for our church as we move forward into the future. But if we're going to move forward into the future, I want to suggest from this text that it's going to take at least three things. I mean, it's going to take more than three things, but I'm a preacher, so I just got to have three today, all right? We'll have to talk about more in the months and weeks ahead. But the first thing that I want you to see from this text that it's going to take for you and me together if we're going to move forward into the future is patience. Notice back in the text, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and then God gave the increase. And so what do you have there? Well, some of you know this from your experience. How many of you have gardened at home before? And you know what it's like to prepare the soil and to plant the seed and then to carefully water it habitually day after day after day. But there's always a gap, isn't there? There's always a gap between the planting and the watering and the tomato. You know, I wish you could just plop the seed in the ground and bam, there was a tomato. And of course, that's why I don't garden much and I just go across the street and I buy a tomato at the store, right? Because it's a lot easier. 
And of course, we live in a culture of quick fixes. We live in a culture of immediate gratification. And we're always trying to just immediately kind of fix things and meet needs and get it done. And if you're like me, if you've grown up in this culture, you are an impatient person. You want to see change, and you want it now. I was over at uh, Poppy Cake this morning, and I went in, and I wanted a little bite to eat before I came in here. And I, I asked first for a, a piece of quiche. And the lady, do you know what she She had the audacity to tell me it would take 10 minutes to heat that quiche up. I'm like, who's got 10 minutes? This is Los Angeles, woman. 10 minutes? Don't you people have a microwave? You know, stick it in there. Zap it for a few seconds. What are they going to put it in the oven and make it do it all proper and right like that? You know? Some of you wish we could take SMCC and stick it in the microwave for 30 seconds. And it comes out and bam. We are growing, we're vibrant, culture changes next week, you know, because you have such a young, dynamic pastor. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I'm not that young anymore. I'm, only, I'm already 43. <laughs> I, that, that, was, that is not how to win friends and influence people in this church. I can tell you that right now. But again, culture shift takes time. And remember the kind of field that God is cultivating, the kind of fruit that God is looking for is character change. It is the fruit of love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and faithfulness. It is all of these things. It is justice and it is mercy and it is peaceableness. And these things do not come overnight. These are the result of what Eugene Peterson once named a long obedience in the same direction. And so we want change. We're going to pursue it. We're going to go after it. We want to see cultural change. But here's what this passage is teaching us, number one, is that if we're going to move forward together, it's going to require patience. And let me just highlight two different kinds of patience that you'll need. One is the patience for that which God will do before Christ returns. And the second is the kind of patience for that which God will do only after Christ returns. There is work that God desires to do among us that we can hope for, that we can work towards, that we can depend on. And we need to be patient for that work for God to move and work in us so that we become this faithful witness of his love within this city in more and more frequent and radical ways so that we see more and more people who are far from God come into this space and find freedom from their addictions, find hope in the face of their despair, find freedom and life and joy. It's going to take time, but we can hope that God will do that. We can hope and pray that if you're in that boat where you, you just wish you, you knew some people in this church, feels like it's hard to break in, and you long to see this place be somewhere where you're known and where you know others, that's the kind of work that God can begin to do among us. But then there's another kind of patience that we need, and it's patience for the kind of work that your heart longs for, but will never ultimately be satisfied until Jesus returns. And let me just put it like this. 
You know, many people, they come into a church, and this is, was my experience at Hope Church. Many of you have had this experience here and at other places, but there were people that came into our church, and I remember their first few weeks, they would come up to me, and they would be so excited about our church. They'd be like, this is the best church I've ever been to. And then they started to compare our church to the church they used to be at, which looked very negative in comparison to our church, which was just glowing and brilliant and wonderful. Those were almost always the first people to leave. And it's because the same high idealism that they brought into the church that disappointed them in their previous churches was disappointing them here. And look, we just have to be honest. The church is full of people. Like, church would be awesome if it wasn't for all these people. Right? If we could just come in and kind of like have a meditative space and not have anybody bug you or anything, you could just get into your Zen moment before the face of God and kind of be at peace, but then you've got these people around you. And people tend to evoke all kinds of stuff in you. And people have problems and they're difficult. And so we need patience for that which God will do only at the end when he makes all things right and new. Only then will your full desire to have this rich community where nobody ever lets you down. Only then will it be realized. But before then, you've got to have patience to work through the problems in the meantime. Amen? So number one, we need patience. But number two, this passage teaches us that as we labor together into a new future of an abundant crop of what God is calling us into, we not only need patience, but number two, we need unity. Unity. Notice back in the text again. Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive wages according to his labor. He says, he who plants and he who waters, on the one hand, they're different. Uh, One is planting and the other is watering. They've got different responsibilities, different skill sets, different competencies, etc. And yet, these two that are different are one. And they're one in that they share the same mission and the same purpose, and they're moving ultimately in the same direction, even though they bring differences to the table. I remember listening to a therapist a while back, and he was being interviewed, and he was asked the question, uh, what is it that, that, that causes so much difficulty in marriage? And he said, if I could boil down the difficulties we face in marriage to one word, it would be the word difference. He said, in a good marriage, you'll have a husband and wife who maybe share about 60% of things in common. And then there's about 40% of stuff that they have differences on. And it's those 40% that actually causes the conflict, which is no surprise to you, right? And of course, within this room this morning, there are differences. Uh, There are generational differences as I look out at you. Uh, Some of you are boomers. Some of you were a part of kind of the World War II generation. Uh, Some of you are millennials. Very few, but some of you are. (laughs) And then there's the ideal generation, the Gen X. (laughs) Those young people schooled in the Cold War era, the 80s music. My daughter Mia loves 80s. Oh, my daughters love 80s music. 
We're, there's, so there's generational differences among us. There's theological differences among us. Uh, some of you are pre-trib, some post-trib, some mid-trib. Some of you are like, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, there are differences when it comes to kind of Christian liberties. Uh, some of you are teetotalers, and some of you brew your own. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of differences that exist among us. And as we move forward and we engage in things like uh, changing the facility, revitalizing the facility, as we make changes in the worship service and musical styles and so on and so forth, there is going to be differences among us. Amen? Why do you have to hook up all, all the wrong points? You're too loud on the amen. You've got to be like, no, we're good. No. But listen, what unites us is way bigger and greater than what divides us. And what unites us is the love of God in Jesus Christ. And what's the priority for the church is to embrace and to experience the love of God and to demonstrate it to others. Love is way more important than being right. Amen. And way too many people in the church think that being right is more important than being loving. And we can be like porcupines, you know. They're a nice creature, but you don't want to get too close to them or else you'll get hurt. And some of you, you have a lot of fine points, and yet if we get close to you, we get hurt. And so we need to embrace love. Paul said, the greatest of these is love. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God and love your neighbor. These are, on everything else, hangs the law and the prophets, or the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love is the priority because love is what we meet preeminently in God. God is the very embodiment of love. And God demonstrates his love to us in the most astounding way in Jesus Christ. And he invites us to receive his love and then become conduits of his love into the life of others. God does not invite us primarily to be people who get a bunch of propositional truth claims that we are right about or opinions about church and church life that we're right about and be conduits of that to shove that in the face of other people and to tell them why they're wrong and you're better than them. So we need unity. But unity is already given to us in Jesus Christ and in God's love. So we need Number one, we need patience as we move forward. Number two, we need unity as we move forward. But I want you to see finally in our text, we not only need patience and unity, but as we move forward together, we're going to need dependence. Dependence on God. I like verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but ultimately God gave the growth. Listen, there is stuff that the church can do. The church, because it holds power over people oftentimes, because it has the truth, it can manipulate and coerce people to do all kinds of things. You can threaten people. You can you know, provide them with threats of hellfire and brimstone and all of this. And you can engage in behavior modification through the church. The church can do behavior modification. Uh, the church can get people at programs and get people in seats. 
If I offered everyone in Sierra Madre $1,000 to come to church tomorrow, we could fill this place. We've filled this place today. We could do three services again and pack them out if we gave money away. There's different things we can do to get people in here and to, be, to modify behavior. But only God can change a person's character. Only God can actually change somebody from being a hardened, narrow, arrogant, proud, self-centered, enslaved, or whatever person, and free them up over time and make them into a generous, hospitable agent of his love in the world. Only God can do that. But here's the good news, SMCC. We are not alone as we move forward together. Amen. We have each other and we have God. And God comes among us to strengthen us and to empower us. It is his love that is not distant from us, but is close to us to empower us and strengthen us and to lead us forward together in this mission. And so as we move forward, we, we can only move forward if we do so on our knees in dependence upon God in prayer. And so let's be people who are dependent upon God as we move forward together. So here's our three virtues that we're pursuing. Patience unity, and dependence. Now we end our time together this morning appropriately by sharing in the Lord's Supper. And this is appropriate because it is in the Lord's Supper that we have this tangible expression of the great sacrificial love of God, the love that was willing to go to the very extent of death on behalf of his people. God's love shed abroad for us in Jesus Christ. And it is here in the Lord's Supper that we're reminded of God's patience toward us. We're reminded that although we come into this place from a whole lot of different places with different preferences and different generational kind of differences or whatever, political differences, we're unified around the love of God in Jesus Christ that we share at the table. And it's even as we share in these elements, the bread and the cup, we consume these. They're food that sustains the body. We're reminded that it is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is God's love that sustains our life and that will sustain our church today and in the months and years ahead. And so at this time, I want to invite uh, those who are going to be serving the Lord's Supper to come forward. And a little word of instruction, if you're new to this community, uh, we're going to distribute the bread and the cup, and when you receive a little, piece of, uh, a little piece of cracker and a little thimble of juice, we want to ask that you would hold on to that, and then I'll lead us in partaking together. And if you're just kind of investigating Christianity, you're kind of new to this whole thing, uh, we don't want to pressure you to participate in this little ritual act because this is something that Jesus gave to his followers. And so if you don't feel comfortable doing this, go ahead and allow the bread and the cup just to pass by you. But we would invite you to come and to share with us now in this practice. And I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, John's and the band are going to lead us in a song, and the, the service will distribute. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for what you have in store for this church in the years ahead. We pray, God, that you would enable us to be a community of love and of grace that's unified and patient. 
We need you for this. We cannot do it ourselves. Come among us, we pray, and strengthen us for the days ahead. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right.